A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Scott Taylor, aka the Data Whisperer. You may have seen him on a number of funny LinkedIn posts. So from here forwards, when I say Scott, it refers to Scott Taylor and not some weird third person thing. It's also important to note that Scott differentiates data management from analytics. So things like data governance and infrastructure fall under the data management side rather than actually doing the analytics. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Scott's point of view. Number one, to actually reliably successfully obtain funding funding for a data management initiative, you need to articulate the value of the work to the business. Why does this matter? Storytelling is key. Number two, The quickest way to lose your shot at securing funding for data initiatives is to focus on the how instead of the why. Most execs do not care at all how it gets done. They hired you, the data leader, to handle that. Number three, to get funding, focus your messaging on tying your data strategy and proposed data initiatives to the business strategy. Why does this matter? How will this drive the business strategy forward? Number four, Be prepared for cynicism from the business side. Many have heard about how this or that data or technology initiative will be the silver bullet for far too long. Data mesh isn't a silver bullet, but also even when you're talking about things like data mesh, be prepared for cynicism. Number five, digital transformation is an enormous opportunity to change how your organization deals with data. Use that as a good point of leverage for funding your data management. It's a necessary foundation for a digital enterprise. 
Number six, the word story is, is about constructing a narrative and telling is about effectively communicating. So storytelling is about effectively communicating what is the target outcome and why will this drive value. Number seven, data storytelling is an art, not a science. You need practice to get good at it. Don't make your practice be overly high stakes. Talk to a lot of folks on your side to hone your talking points. You don't publish the first draft of a book, do you? you find editors. Number eight, focus on empathy and listening to your audience's aspirations and pain points. Then tie your messaging about your data initiatives to those aspirations and pain points. Number nine, finally, when you get to a yes, stop talking. Is your point to get to the yes or is it to tell them all you planned to tell them? It's probably to get to the yes. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very excited for today's episode. We've got Scott, Scott Taylor here, who is the data whisperer. Um, you may have seen many of his uh, interesting posts on LinkedIn or, or elsewhere. Um, and we're going to be talking today about kind of this this theme that's that's been coming up a little bit, but we're going to get very explicit about it of focus on the business value. Stop using the data buzzwords like really the data babble uh, we've got this bubble in data around this and we need to kind of get out of that and stop being so pedantic semantic, uh, about the exact data way that we talk about things. So, um, I'm really excited about this cause I think we're just going to have a, a fun <laughs> and free flowing conversation. But before we jump into that, uh, Scott, could you give people uh, a bit of information about yourself and your background and kind of what you're doing? And then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Hello, Scott. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. And very excited as well to talk about the data babble and the data bubble. So I'm Scott Taylor, the data whisperer. I help calm data down. That's where that moniker comes from. I'm My background is the data management side of the business. And we'll talk a little bit about that versus business intelligence, which is the way I bifurcate the whole industry there. I've been in the data business for 30-something years, so I go back pre-2K, having worked at Nielsen and Dun & Bradstreet and all these iconic data brands, and through that experience, talked to literally every kind of company and every vertical at every level of data maturity all across the earth, and began to see these common patterns and themes and situations at enterprises that were really struggling not just with the data management and data governance activities, but very frustrated in how to, art how to articulate that value to the business side, to the business leaders, to their executive team, to stakeholders that had to be involved in data governance and standardizing data across their organization. 
and they had this huge frustration. So I really went out on my own. When I went out on my own a couple of years ago, it was really focused on how to help that part of the data space tell the right kind of data story as I define it. We can talk about the different types of data stories in a moment. Help amplify their message, help them create a narrative to gain that executive and business attention that they need for we'll say it, the funding that is required to build a proper data foundation. So today I do a lot of content, webinars, podcasts, events, all around the power and value of proper data management. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good um, lens on it to even start about the the data babble and, and kind of getting out of that, that bubble of, of moving past our buzzwords of, what are the different types of stories because there is or and the different types of conversations because there is the driving buy-in there's the explaining what you're doing and then there's the like continued buy-in like <laughs> what you know i told you i was going to do it's the whole thing of um at the beginning of a presentation i'm i'm going to this is what i'm going to talk about this is where i talk about it this is what i told you and it's kind of that same thing of of how do you do that so how do you think about breaking that down so that there is like, if you're talking to data people, where do you think that they go wrong in their storytelling in, in most cases? Is it focusing too much on the technical? Is it focusing on intermixing the driving buy-in and explaining what happened or where you want to head and the vision and like all of that? Like, where do you think it really starts where, where, where it starts to go wrong? <laughs> It tends to start to go wrong, and you alluded to it, in focusing much more on the technical or what I like to characterize as the how, how it gets done. Or even worse, coming into a meeting and explaining for the first 20 minutes how we did it when nobody understands why it was done and why it's important. I focus on the why. I remind people that if you're going to talk to, let's say, your CEO for five minutes, they don't care how you're going to do it until they understand why it's important. You need both. You need how and why. If they say, yes, you got to figure, you got to know how to get it done. But we, as data professionals, we tend to start and are very proud of all the techniques we used and all the tools we might look at and all the ways we tried it. People don't have time for that on the business side. I hate to break it to anybody out there. They're not interested. They're simply not interested in these internal, technical, operational, procedural steps that it took for you to get to the conclusion you're trying to present. So start with the why. That's not my phrase, right? There's a lot of folks out there talking about the why, but it's always been there. And show why what you're going to do with data will enable the strategic intention of the enterprise. I think another thing that a lot of data folks forget or how they start wrong is they think in this data bubble, and I like this concept, it's all focused on the data. It's focused on the business. And they need to understand their business. And I think there's some lack of common understanding across the data industry about the actual business that some of these data folks are in. What does your company do? Why is it important to the relationships they have? What brands do you create to 
establish that value with your relationships. These are common things across every type of enterprise, but understanding that upfront is going to help you a long way if you're trying to do something with data in an organization. Yeah, I think that's a really good point of, of when we're, we're thinking about our own work, there's two aspects of there that, that you kind of talked about. One is, well, maybe even multiple beyond that, but the, the ones that I was thinking of was how does this play into the bigger thing? Because you're focused on your own, uh, you know, in, into the bigger organization, to the bigger strategy. Many people start from the data strategy and then try and tie it to the business strategy instead of what's the business strategy and then let's build our data strategy around that. And then when we have our data strategy, then we have our data tactics, like what are we actually going to do and, and that. But I think the other aspect is in a lot of engineering and, and things similarly, there is a lot of, well, is that going to work? Like, let's talk about the the mechanics. Let's talk about the pushback. And but they hired you for a reason. They hired you to get the job done. So why are you talking so much about the how unless the how really broadly impacts the, the business, right? They, they don't really care if you're doing a, a data mesh or a data fabric or what, what you know, whatever you want to call it, um, that we we need to focus on the conversation as to, what do they want to, to hear about instead of what do we want to tell them, right? And, and I had an episode recently with Liz Henderson where I said, like, why, oh, why won't you start from the why? Of like, please, just when you're talking to people that aren't in your data team, when you're talking to people in your data team, yeah, they want to talk data. They really want to talk about this stuff. And you build that camaraderie. You build that, like, we're doing this together. We're doing awesome things. This is exciting. This is fun. But like, how, how can you tell me a couple of stories of maybe <laughs> what's happened when you've worked with some people to actually change the way that they're communicating and what that's led to? Because some of this is also us just telling people, go do this. But like, how have people been able to evolve this that you've seen and what, what have been the, the results of that? Because I want people to feel inspired that they want to do this instead of this is just another laundry list of things that they want to do. Does this make your life easier if you figure out how to do this? Does this make your job easier? My objective is to help people get funding and support for the work they do. That's a challenge in most organizations. They're not getting enough funding. They're not getting enough support. They're not getting enough attention. So I would hope it's important to every data practitioner out there and certainly anyone on the leadership side in the data space to get that support. And especially when you look at the subset of the data world that I come from, which is data management, data governance, data stewardship, master data, reference data, metadata versus analytics, data science, data visualization, where data ends up. I... I focus on where data starts and you got to start the right way. You don't need, you know, a quote from Yogi Berra or Yoda or something talking about if you don't start the right way, you're not going to end up in the right place. It's basics. And the technique is storytelling, which is not new. It's something I've done my entire life, but you need to get folks emotionally attached to the concepts you're presenting and bring them along 
and we tell stories all the time. Everybody loves stories. It's the way humans communicate with each other. I smile a little bit that data storytelling is such a thing now when storytelling's been everywhere and I've been a storyteller all my life. Sales, marketing, strategy, all the communications, those are all forms of storytelling. Every type of entertainment is a storytelling exercise, movies, TV, music. Why do some of them work and some of them don't? So you go back to, I divide up this concept of data storytelling. You want to think about it in three different segments. There's the data part, which I rarely talk about. That's the part that most data folks are focused on. That's the part they know the best. There's the story part, which is constructing some form of narrative to make this make sense in order. There's exposition, there's a climax, there's a conclusion, there's a call to action. And then there's the actual telling part, which is a whole different practice area on its own. Do you have the techniques that you need to communicate? Can you stand up in front of an audience and share your message with the right kind of energy, the right kind of timing, the right kind of intonation? I come from that world. I come from, I'm probably one of the most soft skilled guys in the data space. I don't actually work on data itself. I work on how to talk about it. I like to say, I think I have a fear of not public speaking. So I come from a very different angle than a lot of folks from data who are rooted in much harder skills, right? Science versus art. Science has a logic to it that you learn and things, you know, if I put A next to B, it should equal C based on experimentation and research and the laws of whatever physics you're following, even if it's metaphorical. Art is very different. Stuff doesn't always work. There isn't an absolute formula. You can't put it. If there was, then every movie would be a, a fantastic movie and every song would be a hit. And they're not, no matter what ingredients you put together. So there's a lot of artistic, creative, emotional, soft skill elements to that. And what I do in my little part in the data space is focus on those techniques that have worked to get people to understand the benefits of, of, of what you're trying to present. To answer your question more directly, you know, what does that look like? How has it been done? The objective is in general, you, you want to get people to go, especially when you're talking, let's say you're talking to a CEO who has no data background. They're steeped in the business. They understand where the company's trying to go. They're setting the strategy. They're the top leader, but they're not data, I don't want to say literate, but they don't, you know, IT scares them or that's all technical or I don't want to hear all that stuff. You got to get them to go from, I have no idea what you're talking about to, we can't live without this. That's the journey you want people to take. Having a background in sales and marketing and strategy, that's what you do for a living if you're in sales. That's what you do for a living if you're in marketing. You get an audience to pay attention to and then be interested in and then desire and then take action on the concept you are laying out there. These are practices that go across all business and in some case, humankind, when we talk about storytelling, 
try to distill those down to make them concrete for the data space. What inspired me partly to put the book together that I wrote, which is called Telling Your Data Story, Data Storytelling for Data Management, right on the cover of the book, it says 99% buzzword free. That was a guarantee I could guarantee. I didn't want to overpromise. Was my experience with all different kinds of data leaders, especially on the data management side, who had two common emotions. One, they were really passionate and totally convinced that better data was going to help their organization to genericize it a bit for this anecdote. So they're really passionate and excited about that, but they were also immensely frustrated that nobody would listen to them. And when you look at data management versus business intelligence, data science, analytics, and so on, the data management side is particularly dull, clerical, boring, back office, not new. It's the data version of you got to eat your vegetables before you can have your data science dessert. It's not the fun stuff. It's not the cool stuff. It's not the sexy stuff. It's not the sparkling stuff. But these people are really passionate about it. And they do understand that if you don't have a foundation, using a well-worn example, you can't build a proper house, even if the people who are funding it care about the trim on the house and the drapes in the upstairs bedroom. They're not talking about the concrete you got to pour in the foundation and making sure the stuff isn't built on mud. So there's many, many examples of getting people to open their eyes to that. And that's probably the most thrilling part of all the work I have ever done is seeing somebody understand it and go, oh, that's why that's so important. Well, one thing that you said in there um, about uh, that I think could be really uh, an interesting concept for people out there. You're talking about like film and and uh, movie or movies and books and TV and all that. And there's like a three act play type thing, right? Of this is where they when you're talking about how to write a good screenplay, and then there's the you know how to make a, a good screenplay great or whatever. And it's like okay, there is a framework for talking about these things, but that's the foundation. That's the bare minimum. That's the this is the way that, that humans react to stories, right? And so this is the way you want to build it because it's it's easy and it works and it's tried and true, but it's the thing that you have to do to be able to tell a good story, but it, it doesn't mean that you automatically tell a good story. So there's like techniques that you can do to make it so that you're you're not setting yourself up for failure, but it's not that it all, all of a sudden sets you up where it's just going to be like an easy success. And I think um, when you're talking about this, this uh, funding concept, are you typically working with people that are trying to tell the story of their success or to get the initial funding? Cause I think both of those are pretty interesting and, and complicated, but like how do you think that they're very, very different aspects to those or not really, right? Is it just doing the same things, the same fundamentals keep coming back to kind of the storytelling fundamentals? I think that the 
fundamentals go back to the fundamentals, which is kind of why they call them fundamentals. So there's the story technique. And in the context of business, which I think is obviously very different than entertainment, you want to get more precise around the approach. You might watch a great movie. It's an epic. They've got all this exposition. That's the technically the part of the story where you're explaining and giving people an understanding of the background and the characters and the terminology. You know, if you've seen Dune, the movie, they spend the first 20 minutes just explaining everything. They have very clever ways in dialogue, but it, they explain spice and the political turmoil going on on these planets. And it's just, if you look at just the dialogue, all it is is explanation to give you an idea of what the heck is going to go on in this universe. In a business context, you don't have that kind of time. You're not there to entertain your CEO and make them thrilled and at the edge of their seat about what's going to happen next. The kind of story that you are telling, especially when you're going for funding and support, it's a pitch. It is more sales than it is literature. It has to draw people's attention and even share what the punchline is beforehand. We are here today to secure funding on this initiative around master data management, picking a classic data management initiative. It's got to be a program, not a project. It needs to align with our business objectives, so on, blah, blah, blah. And then explain why that's so important with the right kind of details. But the fundamentals are the same. And the advice I have to everyone trying to do this is practice, is recognize it's a technique that is very different than the world, than the probably the techniques you learn to work with data itself, and just know that you can get better at it. Everybody, everybody can tell a story. I mean, I've never met anybody who can't sit at a dining room table and tell you what happened that day that was exciting or upsetting or a surprise. Take those same emotional constructs and apply it to conversational activity with your business leaders on why data is so important to your organization. And you'll, you know, there'll be some success there. Do you have a framework around, like, a lot of what you're talking about seems to be the kind of all or nothing pitch versus the constant build of Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to leak one chapter at a time to you, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm, this is a serial story versus right. this is a, uh, the, the epic movie and like, you know, uh, or, you know, the monster of the week type of thing where every, yeah, there's no, there shouldn't be a lot of suspense. Let's put yeah. that. So that tech, this is not a horror story. There's not a suspense story. It's not, oh, gee. And then after lunch, we'll come back and what will happen to our data hero? That's not going to play. If you've been in enough me and I've spent, more than my fair share of time in front of executive leaders who will interrupt you, who will try and change the subject, who will just simply go, okay, what do you want? Why is this important? What if somebody interrupts you in the middle of your big, long conversation with your 32-page deck and you're on point number two out of 57 and they just go, what do you want? Oh, well, I want to take it through the next 57 slides. That's not the right answer. So, but are are you are, typically when you're having these? Is is it typically that that kind of big big presentation versus, like, you know, there is that that concept of of getting people kind of used to the general what what you're looking to do, the general concepts, the general um, aspects and approach and things like that, versus the all or nothing. 
Is it that if you have the ability and you can keep somebody's attention, you want to kind of keep the, the steady stream, but you're also likely to overwhelm them? Or like, how do you have that conversation? How, and how can people test the waters? Because you were saying like, the, the best way to do this is practice, but the practice is is kind of in doing it in production. And that's kind of high stakes to be like, hey, if we don't do this, we're going to be falling behind our competitors. So like, how do you get like, if you're if you're talking to somebody that is first coming to you, like, what is that conversation like? Are, are you extracting from them? What's the situation? Like, let's let's map out a different strategy. Or do you think that kind of a common strategy is like, the way most people, the most organizations work is the big, big presentation and it's the yay or nay vote versus the continuous context exchange. It's a great question. And for data management and to define the space for a moment of data storytelling, I believe there are two types of data storytelling. There's the data storytelling that most people know and recognize, which is really analytic storytelling, how to take data, put it in a business context to drive an action, stories with data. Then there's this data storytelling that I tried to carve a niche around, which is data storytelling for data management. Why managing that data and supporting these data governance activities is so important to the organization. So stories about data, if you will. Looking at that world, if you have a data governance program, it is a program. So yes, you need to have this constant narrative. There's always somebody new. There's always a new department you've got to talk to. There's new hires that you want to orient. There's a merger and acquisition. You've got to share your data governance objectives and approach with that new acquired company who may have a different way to look at it. There may be a big bang of like, all right, we're up at the board and they're going to, we're looking for this $20 million funding for next year. So we've got to do that big presentation, but it is more of a ongoing communications program throughout the enterprise. And the folks I've worked with and the ones I've seen most successful around it, look at it as almost an internal marketing effort. How do we keep this going? It doesn't always have to be the biggest thing, but it always has to be there. We've got a data governance program. We've got, you know, we find different folks who are doing great stuff with our data and we have a little newsletter or we have a, you know, regular lunch and learn. And I work with companies a lot of times where I come in in some of those series and be kind of an inspirational speaker around that. So it is a long-term ongoing constant effort which is why it's important to hone that story down and your question around practicing. Yeah. Start with your own group. Start with people who know this. See, and then look for other friendly voices and help across the organization. Especially if you work at some kind of formal enterprise, there are those other resources. So do you have a communications department in your organization that helps people just get better at communicating, run this story by them. Are there friends in marketing, friends in sales, people who tell stories for a living that can hear you out in a critical but lower stakes environment? Because you're right, Scott, the first time you do this isn't the time you need to do it. You are setting yourself up. The odds are pretty good that you're going to fail. If you think you could just get that one at bat in that pro baseball game and hit a grand slam just because then you got lucky is what you got. 
So it's rare that anybody can really do that and depend on doing that. And these stakes, the stakes for you as a data leader are really high. So you got to make sure you don't blow it. So practicing with those lower stakes folks, also technique of something I even mentioned, tip I mentioned in my book is talk to your partner, talk to your relatives, talk to you know your grandmother and see if this even makes sense. Talk to somebody who you know doesn't understand it and get better at some of the dramatic techniques, if you will. Can you stand up in front of everybody? Do you have the right sight lines? Does this stuff look good? Is it clear? There's a lot of these techniques out there that are just basic communication techniques, basic soft skill techniques. And now you're adding the data part. So I talk more, I'm focusing more on the story and telling part than the data part. But it does have to be this ongoing program And it does, and it does need to be separate. In my view, it does need to have a separate track than what you're doing with analytics in whatever form that is. And I define analytics generically kind of to simplify it as all of those other practice areas, data science, ML, AI, visualization, all those things that you do when you when you end up with data that you're going to put in some sort of business context versus the activities you need to do to create that data to make it work in the first place. Ingredients versus cooking, right? Cooking is a great, the best high-level analogy to use for data I've found in my experience is something around food and cooking and meals and you know, people complain about using tools, buying tools first before they know what they want to do at an organization. Well, you know, just because you bought a new frying pan doesn't mean you know how to cook. If you bought a new frying pan and you know how to cook, but you got rotten eggs, then that omelet isn't going to be very good. I mean, there's lots of ways, you know, if you have bad ingredients, you're not going to make a delicious meal. There's lots of ways to articulate to somebody through analogies and metaphors the importance of what goes into these data processes and how critical it is to everything else you're going to do with data across the organization. So when you think about these, these programs, like a lot of these things are very, very large scale. So like I'm, you know, a lot of the audience obviously is quite interested in data mesh. If someone were, you know, data mesh completely transforms the way, um, a lot of the way the organization itself, not just the data team, the organization handles information flow and like actually exchanging information, not just the ones and zeros of data, but that we actually have the data management aspect is also handled by those folks and we enable them to actually do that. But when we think about if somebody is is like, I'm bought in, I wanna, I wanna take my organization and apply data mesh. And yes, it's going to be different for every organization. And, and yes, you can say they should all just come talk to you and you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll get every. I'm not scalable enough. Yes. You can buy my book, but I don't have all the answers. You still get right. <laughs> but, but like, this is a very, very large scale transformation, but you also kind of have a, a, a kind of a boxed in window to, to prove out is this something that we want to pursue? Is this really going to work for us? All of that. Like, how would you recommend people start to approach telling that story? Would it be to kind of start seeding the, 
in the background of saying, hey, here are some data challenges that we keep having, or hey, you know, here here's this thing around our business strategy that we missed. If we had had the data around this earlier or cleaner or better than this, but that can also kind of put you in a precarious situation of, well, weren't you supposed to fix that before? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you have that, that kind of build up so that there is the, um, that the audience is ready for it, right? Like what you talked about, uh, no suspense, no horror movie or anything like that. You don't just have somebody just go into a random movie theater and they don't know what movie they're going to see. You, you might have that. You might show them like a, a kind of fun or uplifting or, or comedy movie because in general, people are, are going to be okay with that. But if it's like a very, very emotional or a very like horror, like slasher movie and somebody's not ready for it, that's not great, right? So how do you kind of prep them so that you can, you know, how do you tee them up so that you can, you can knock them down, right? Like, how do you set it up so that you actually have a chance for success? Is that, is there like a strategy that you recommend or is it very, very specific to the organization and you kind of have to, to, again, you know, by the book or whatever, but like that you, uh, you really have to measure out a bunch of different things to figure out what is the right strategy or do you have a strategy that you generally recommend for getting people primed to actually be able to win the the approval for this kind of big, big uh, ask that you're making. If there's a single thing to do, it's to go hear what your leaders are talking about already. Look at your annual report. If you're a public company, watch your investor day presentation that they already posted on your site. Read the article that your was an interview with your head of whichever part of the company or when they were on CNBC talking about what the, where the company is going to go and then listen for the little hints that can help you connect what you are doing with data to those things. Guaranteed, they're not going to say, one of our big initiatives this year is to improve our data quality. That's what we're really focused. It's never going to happen. But it's a really good way to get into their emotional frame of mind and get them interested in what you're talking about. Because, And it is a sales technique. Go talk about solving their problem rather than showing how cool whatever you have is and expecting them to connect those dots. Because they won't connect those dots always, and they shouldn't have to. That burden of that isn't on your listener. It's on you as the storyteller to show this problem ABC or this objective or this goal that you just stated might take the um, – it, it might show itself in a, in, in a statement like our vision of our company is trying to be the premier partner of choice with our customers and, and suppliers. That's an exact quote from an annual report from a top Fortune 500 company that I worked with. And for there was right away, it was like, okay, customers and suppliers. Now let's take a look at the data we've got on our customers and suppliers. And it sucks. Look, there's duplicates. We got no hierarchy. The categorization's terrible. We've got salespeople keying in whatever they want because they never searched before they create. We've got disparate geographies across our organization. 
different departments call markets different stuff. You can find a billion problems. These are all data management problems. These are not analytics problems. They feed into problems that happen in analytics, but they start with data management. And very quickly, I shortcutted it for, for this conversation, but you can very quickly draw those lines and connect those dots between what you're trying to do, the strategic intentions of your enterprise, as I like to put it, the vision of your company, and why data management is going to help you get there. Another guarantee is it will help you get there. It absolutely will help you get there. And if you don't get there, part of the problem is because the data you've got sub- supporting those initiatives isn't good enough. Every company wants to leverage data. We're all struggling on how to make it work. But speaking their language, speaking the language of the business is really the only way to go. The exception to the rule is going to be that very unique case of somebody who has a technical head and cares about those techniques, but don't expect that. That's not, that's rare. That's going to happen. And frankly, if it does happen in a room with a number of people, that person is going to distract from the real point of the story. So, you know, talk to them later over lunch here. We'll show you how we did. We'll show you our latest analytics graph hub fabric mesh and how wonderful it is. But those clues are everywhere. I find that I picked up this technique. It's not new to me, to the world, but it was something I used a lot for decades. If you're going to go talk to, like for instance, I'll give you an example. I was going in on a pitch meeting with a couple sister companies at Nielsen. There were six companies. We had an hour with the president of Coca-Cola, okay? The real president of Coca-Cola. The VP of marketing of Coca-Cola is sitting in the room. There are people in the media world who would give their first and second born to be in front of the head of marketing for Coca-Cola. Six Nielsen companies, we each had nine minutes and there was a one minute changeover. I had done research on the president of of Coca-Cola. There were some things he said in an industry article. It was very simple. And he talked about customer. He talked about customer relationships and the service that I was representing at Nielsen was a customer master cleansing and structuring service. So I knew that we could help him with this thing called customer. And I put a quote up and even though it wasn't suspenseful, I think it was rather dramatic. And I put the statement up almost generically saying, well, it's important to whatever the language was. And I go, and I know you agree with this. And the next slide was his name and picture under it because you said it. So there's no denying it, right? I've got him dead to rights. Not that I'm tricking him, but it was like, yeah, customer, if customer's important, here's what we know about your customer file and just a little touch of some of the challenges and we can fix it. So we got the call back. All my sister companies did not get the call back. Now that took, you know, there was a lot of experience. It took a little guts to sort of get a little edgy with the president of Coca-Cola in front of everybody else. But we grabbed their attention by literally using their own words. So your, your, your leaders will say stuff and talk about things. And again, I drew, he did not say what we need is a better customer master maintenance process and outlet, you know, classification. He didn't say that it was a generic, you know, visionary statement about the importance of their relationships And anytime you hear a leader talk about relationships, there are data domains that directly connect to that. Relationships for an enterprise, customer, vendor, partner, prospect, citizen, patient, 
consumer, whatever you call those relationships are going to be different based on the vertical or the category you you do business in, but you all have relationships. If you don't have relationships, you don't have a business. And the data about those relationships is literally the most important data an organization has, which is why you've got to start there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm training some folks internally uh, at Datastax right now on um, how to work with community people. And, and what I say, like most of the time you're reacting to somebody saying, you know, you're not just reaching out and saying, Hey, uh, do you want some, do you want some Apache Cassandra? That's not going to work. Right. Sure. We just ran out. Yeah. Glad you called. <laughs> but <laughs> they're, they're what I call openings, right? And they're conversational openings where people are expressing a frustration, whether it's around our technology and other technology or, or asking a question or are celebrating the technology and saying, oh, I did this thing or, you know, oh, I got, I got certified or anything like that. And these people that I'm training, they're typically coming from a sales background. And most of the time, what they're trying to focus on is what I want to tell you instead of what do you care about? What did you just say? I'm going to react to what you said. What matters to you? What like they're a human being, you, you know, you, you don't go up and, uh, you know, just even I, I don't like to really use dating analogies, but they they work well, you know. When you're on a first date, do they say, talk about yourself the whole time? Or do you say, listen more than talk, right? Do you, how do you build a relationship with somebody if you're just waiting for your time to talk, right? Like this is the thing, even just from podcasting so much um, that I've had some people ask me like, oh, I, I think you do, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but people say, yeah, I think you do pretty good interviews and, and all this, like, what's your secret? It's like, I just listen to what they say and I react, right? And it feels like that's like being, you know, kind of demeaning to what I do. But really at the end of the day, I'm listening for to my guests to have them tell me like where they want to talk about what's interesting and I react and I can dig into, you know, there are some episodes where I say, okay, you just said this one thing. I'm going to dig in for 40 minutes on this one sentence and we're just going to expand and expand and expand and expand. And it's so useful because we went so deep on things and sometimes we stay more high level and it's great like that. But a lot of this is just communication is what do you care about, right? Like everything you're talking about, all this storytelling, all of this is what does that person want to hear about? Not what do you want to tell them? What do you want to take? What do you want them to take away from this? Well, if you're just talking at them, that's not going to work. So, like, how do you bring them into the conversation and they open up the the uh, their brains for you to put the information that you want in, so that they take away the thing, but that you're not just trying to shove it in, right? You're not trying to just do it. It's 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 a lot easier to uh, get through a gate if somebody has opened it rather than trying to just push your way through it. Right. So like, how do you open that gate to, to being um, open to this? Like what have you found really useful techniques or is it different for each person? Or is it, again, is it laying that groundwork ahead of time and, and making it so, or is it just nailing the presentation or what, what have you made it that, that makes it so that they are primed, 
right? That it's a, it's a combination of those things, and I think you're. But what the one you hit on, which is the most important, is that listening part. Are you and that empathy part? Do you understand what their situation is, or can you somehow gain an understanding through a conversation with them or interaction to see and 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 what their relation, what their, what their situation is. And these, these transcend data, right? We're not talking, we're applying this to data. And I think the data and scientific and more technical aspects of the world, which are rooted in very hard skills, don't necessarily get exposed to a lot of that. I had a liberal arts background. I'm love it. I'm glad I did. So that was, and I'm applying those that to data found my little place in the data world. But people should know and hopefully feel encouraged by the fact that we're not talking about very specific data storytelling techniques here. Again, we're talking about the story part and the telling part, which transcends every, you know, it's across all humankind. So listening, yes. And I consider those kind of conversations, they're more jazz than they are classical music. It's an interplay. It's uh, an improvisation. Is are you So the homework comes in, are you ready? Do you have that nugget of a response that fits that particular interaction? Do you hear something that may shift around? Again, I was playing with it. The objective is not to get through all your slides. I've said a million times, and there are people who will, having been just hard, cold sales for a long time, Oh, I don't want to interrupt you, but I've got a question and I can I go, my objective here is not to get through all my slides. That's not the point. It's to hear that, is to take that input and somehow respond to it in a way that leads you to where you really want to go. Because your objective of that conversation or that interaction isn't get through my slides. The objective is get some kind of commitment from the person I'm talking to, which is the point of most business interaction some sort of commitment, acknowledgement, action they want to take after this communication has happened. That's why I mean it's a pitch more than it is a epic story or a poem. It's really to get that, secure that commitment for something, take action on something. And whatever it needs to do, whatever you need to, however you need to adjust or reframe or discuss. And sometimes it's like, okay, you know what? What I was thinking of isn't going to work. Let me come back. And, you know, there's, you've got to be ready for those things. And you also have to be, and I have a little piece on this. I have like a, you know, my one minute sales training in the book because it's not a sales book, but there's a lot of techniques that come from there. But I talk about a really important lesson my father taught me. One of my first jobs was working for him, and he was a, a world-class salesman. He worked in the publishing world and advertising, but just incre- he could sell ice to Eskimos, in my feeling, water to fish. He could, And he told me once, I, there's a story that leads up to this, but basically the punchline was, when you get the yes, shut up. And a lot of people have the opposite problem, which is, they got the yes. They got the commitment. They're ready to go. And you still, but no, I got five more slides. I didn't get to, I want to tell you all about the other three things. If your point is to get that yes, to get that commitment. And when you say shut up, it's like you don't have to keep convincing them. How many times do you go in like a real sort of sales 
interaction with somebody at some low transactional level and you're like, okay, yes. And they still talk to you about, oh, and I've got this feature and that feature and oh, you can do it. It's like, I said yes already. And it happened to me because I got a yes from somebody and I didn't shut up and I gave them a piece of information that changed their mind. Not that it was hiding a flaw, but it just gave them a different perspective of it. And then they said no. And I was devastated. And I went back to my father. I'm like, they were set. He's like, son, it's time to let you know. When you get the yes, shut up. Yeah, it's it's almost like storytelling isn't the actual right phrasing for it, but we don't have a good phrase in English because it isn't telling. It's like story conversing, story, you know, conversation, like listening and reacting. It's not, but you know, there isn't a good word around that because exactly what you're talking about. Um, And people will tell you their problems. They will tell you their challenges. If you get to the right folks, they will open up. People want to talk about their pain. And in the data management space, especially and in working with data in an organization, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain across the whole organization. So I sold data management and marketed data management services. So I'd have to go and hear about data management pain. But if you are in data management and you're trying to use that expertise to bring value to your organization, another tip is go look for that pain. There's pain everywhere. There's problems everywhere in your organization. There's problems in sales, finance, marketing, operations at the executive level. Go hear those first before you come in and say, here's 19 things we can do. Here's the next set of data products we're going to create to monetize. Like that is more telling than in a, you know, versus selling versus interacting versus trying to solve a problem. And these are classic, classic, basic, basic stuff that people always come back to in training. But listen, go hear them out, and they'll tell you all kinds of problems. They're going to share their world with you. And it's a beautiful thing. If you if you keep your mouth shut and listen for those things, they'll tell you all kinds of stuff. And I think one thing we were planning on talking about that I think transitions well here is, like, how do you tie your data strategy to those pains? I mean, sometimes it feels like that's a bit of an obvious question, but I don't think it is for a lot of folks out there because it's just like, okay, uh, do I have to be really agile to know exactly what the pain is going to be and have an exact reaction versus like, okay, you know, digging in with the why is that a pain? Why, Why could, you know, if we fix the data, would that be better? Get them to tell you the solution and then you tell them like the a little bit about the approach of what you're going to do, but they've already worked out the solution for themselves. So they've already bought in to that. Or like, how do you get that conversation around what is the pain? What is the business pain to how does the data team, how does the data strategy play into that? You know, how do I, how do I take that pain and then create a a useful story off of it and get that funding to actually solve them? And then how do I, how do I kind of follow up with them? tell them I've solved it, like show them I've solved it, like get them so that they're ready for the next thing. Like, you know, it's, I'm kind of just asking you to solve all the, the challenges around data storytelling, but at the same point, like what, what have you found there that works? I put a framework together that kind of grew to organically after all my work and then working with a lot of organizations. I call it the three V's of data storytelling for data management. It's clearly a knowing wink to the three V's of big data, but mine, and it's all over my book, are vocabulary, voice, and vision. 
And so we've talked, we've touched on a number of these things. So this kind of pulls it together for me in our conversation. You start with that vocabulary, what terminology to use, what's the nomenclature, what's the avoid the data babble, the data argo, the 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 things that are confusing and technical use business terminology. The voices, how you present it. Do you have a common approach? You want to harmonize this kind of storytelling in your organization in some way. Harmony doesn't mean everybody sings the same notes, but it does mean they sound good together. So we've all got the same kind of one, two, three things around why data is so important. And then you want to point it all, all that effort, 100% of that effort at enabling the strategic intention of that enterprise at your business vision. How does it support your business vision? I kind of bristle slightly when I hear a lot about the work in quote data strategy because that data strategy must be the business strategy. It's not even a question. And that framework, simple as it is, there's not workbooks on it or whatever, but the vocabulary, get the words right that you use, voice, the way you say it, vision, why it's important. Keep those in mind structurally, and that will help you organize your approach and you'll be more, and you can syndicate it for yourself, right? If you've got, again, data people tend to be more process-oriented than non-data people. So it's like, all right, do we have the right words? Do we have the right voice? Do we, are we pointing at a business vision? The counterpoint to that is there's not a day you go by in LinkedIn when somebody has this epiphany that, you know what, data should support the business. It's like, duh, why did, why would you even have a thought that it didn't? Why would it be independent from the organization that you're part of? And as an example, I don't know any marketing leader that ever went, had that same epiphany. You know, our marketing should support the business. Our finance activity should support. It's like, yeah, that's what they do. So part of that data bubble problem that we have is this kind of swirling existential, philosophical, theoretical, almost symbolic turmoil that we pontificating that we put ourselves in on like, why do we exist? Where do we find value? What's the vision? I mean, what's the, what's our, what's our strategy? Oh, it should support. It's like, sometimes I just want to kind of shake us all by the, by the, by the collar and just go like, just get the work done. Okay. It doesn't matter what you call it. It matters what it does. It's of course you're doing it to support the, the business. And if you don't know enough about your business to know that, then go learn about your business. Go understand what you do for a living really, really. So getting off on a little rant there, but this is the kind of stuff that kind of, again, my combination of my passion and my frustration around the space. There was a conference earlier this year where um, somebody noted that it was pretty much all data people talking to data people. And, and it was like, and it was data industry folks talking to data industry folks instead of talking to the end users. And that it was just kind of this you know, inward facing and everybody was like, oh, this is so fun. This is so awesome. But somebody said, but so what, like, what did this actually drive any value? Nobody, nobody came here that are the heads of data of any of these things or, or that are the head of marketing data or the head of, you know, anything like that, where 
it's the people that aren't just the kind of central data team. And if you're just talking to those folks, you are in your bubble. And so how do you break out of that? And, and I think kind of a good place to, to wrap up around this would be, you know, how do we actually articulate the value? How do we articulate the value ahead of time? Do you think that it is because data people and a lot of people want data to be much more numbers driven than it is from a value perspective? And it's actually kind of very difficult to put an actual value around it. So do you get the other person to tell you what what would be the, you know, the negative consequence of if we don't do this or like, how have you found talking about that actual value and tying that value around what was done around data to to not take the spotlight and say, data did this versus like, we see what happens when we have the data collaborate, you know, the, the right data strategy with this. It's, it's even harder in the data management side versus analytics too, because analytics is much more tangible. And with data management, it's basically infrastructure. So it becomes even more difficult. There's a couple of things. There's one is a cautionary piece of advice, which is you got to, in the data space, you kind of have a lot of cynicism, I think, on the business side because there have been attempts over the years for generations talking about how we're finally going to get there. This is it. This is the latest thing. This is going to happen. So just kind of know that going in that it's not always a fresh face you're going to be talking to. It's somebody who may have just gone through two decades of implementation on stuff and it doesn't, it still doesn't work, whether it's boil in the ocean or it was, you know, we went to this thing or that thing or whatever. So there, there's that there that you got to recognize. When I think about value from data, I think about it again, I try to boil it down. I try to really simplify it. I, from my experience, there's only four ways data can bring value. Has it helped grow the business, improve the business, protect the business, and sustain the business? Those are the four things that data can do for an organization. In my view, those are the four things that every organization wants to do and kind of the only four things they do. Grow the business might be increasing sales, improve the business might be operational efficiency, protect the businesses in Certainly in, in, in things like mitigating risk, sustaining the business, everybody's looking at ESG data and activity. So these are really four, but, and you can aim the, the incredible enterprise horizontal value of a strong data management, data governance program is that can do all four of those at once in a lot of cases with literally the same data. So making sure people understand that infrastructure part, that foundational part, you know, we use these words and metaphors on purpose. They don't talk about data management as a bell and whistle. They talk about it as a backbone, as a linchpin, as a foundation, as these strong, you know, we talk about data structure, data engineering, data architecture. These are all things. If you take the word data out of it, architecture, engineering, structure, these are all things you have to have to build something. So finding those examples and they're kind of everywhere. And then sometimes you need sort of a headline example. I worked with a company 
they shared some articles with me about some of the great work they did with data. And there were some headline sort of examples in there. Like we went from four hours of time to create this report to eight seconds. That's pretty incredible, right? So what does that unleash in terms of value and scalability for an organization? And data, especially well-structured data, think of as an accelerant for a business. You put the right kind of master data, reference data, metadata, and the right kinds of processes, and you are going to scale like crazy. And when you think about the high-level concept of digital transformation, for me, the definition of that is providing value, right? Grow, improve, protect, sustain. Providing value to your relationships, relationships, customer, vendor, partner, prospect, through your brands. It could be product, service, offering, whatever you do at scale. So if you want to provide value to relationships through your brands at scale, scale takes technology, technology, hardware, software, data. If you have data, you need data management. So I try and draw those and help people see those connections. And if your leaders are talking about digital transformation and you can poo-poo it or be cynical about it or say, oh, they don't know what they mean by that. But if they're really invested in that concept, you have an enormous opportunity to go show that what you're doing in data management is, is, is literally the only way they're going to get there. They're not going to get there any other way. And it's incumbent though on those data leaders to show that connection. That when you talk strategy way up here, there's going to be some data connected to do it way down there. And if you're like most enterprises, that data's got some problems that got to get fixed. Which is why I tell people don't use words like, okay, what we need is to cleanse that data and we need data hygiene and all these tactical ad hoc emotional terms that people use. Data quality I pick on because quality itself is a very emotional subjective term. And it hasn't worked. P.S. It hasn't worked. We've talking about data quality for decades and we're still in the same problem we have. Why? Because we go and pitch the idea of we need better data quality. Well, why? Ah, answer the why beforehand before they even ask it and you're going to get further. Yeah. Data trustability and all that. I, and and I, I use the analogy of do we want to remediate? Do we want to clean up the river after people have dumped a bunch of things in it? Or do we want to prevent them from dumping the things in it, right? Like, yeah. you know, yes, there's too many water analogies and data, but like that, that simple thing of like, hey, let's, let's push that more and more up that we don't have to clean it up after that we actually know what we're doing with it. But so, uh, Scott, this is, this has been, uh, an awesome conversation. Um, you know, cool. covered a whole no, lot. Is there, <laughs> is there anything we didn't cover that, that you think we should have, or any way that you'd want to kind of wrap up the, uh, episode here? We touched on a lot of those, on a lot of the concepts that I, that I, that I really are important to my philosophy. So that was great. I just go back to, you can boil my whole philosophy down to this three words, which is truth before meaning. You want to determine the truth in data before you derive meaning out of it. That is 
investing in data management, making sure you have that foundation before you go too far on what you think you can do with business intelligence and analytics and data science. So truth before meaning for me is my bumper sticker. And I have the hat that says, you know, hence the meaning of my truth hat there, but it's not chicken or egg. It is egg and omelet. You got to have that truth first before you derive any meaning out of it. And you'll be a lot more successful in whatever you're doing with data. If people trust it, if they can depend on it, if your data scientists don't spend 80% of their time munging and wrangling, they spend more time doing actual data science work. Yeah, I, I think, well, in data mesh, it's it's almost like the definition of truth becomes a little looser because you can actually have that high context exchange to say, hey, we think this is true, but we're not sure. But like, let's talk about what does what do you actually need to understand to is this truth, right? Like, oh, you don't have to care that like the data completeness or the timeliness or the whatever. That's not the thing that matters to you. What actually matters instead of ta-da, I have presented my data to you, you will now use my data. It's like, it's it, it actually creates this back and forth conversation. And I think- People just want to depend on, if you get a report and somebody questions the report because that hierarchy is not the way they look at it or it's missing, you know, you're, you're way, but you've gone back. It's like shoots and ladders. You hit that like shoot way up at the top and you're way back at start there and you got to build back that credibility and it takes forever because then they just don't, believe even if that's good the next time and it's right there's still this like inkling of it's why it's so important i know we didn't talk a lot about sort of the data mesh terminology that's fun i have a lot of fun with that um versus a lot of the other activities that are going on in the marketplace we could save that for another time maybe i think the data mesh aspect of talking about it again like i keep telling people to not talk about it with the people outside of the business. And that yeah, this I is that, that conversation of we're, we're talking to people outside of the data world. When you're talking inside the data world, yes, talk about it, right? Like, great, but they don't care. They, they really, care. you know, there's this assumption that everybody wants, to, that everybody is so overly curious about exactly what we're doing and well, we're becoming data-driven. So everybody needs to know exactly how we're doing. They don't care. And if they, they do- care. That person will be loud. They will come to you and ask. Right. <laughs> They'll come to you and oh, that's cool. How do you do it? How do you do that? But your CEO is not going to go, oh, that's cool. How do you do that? Let's, yeah. let's talk. Rarely they will. But understanding why and then letting them realize, yes, you've got the expertise to get it done. Head in the clouds versus feet on the ground. We need them both when we're trying to shape and 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 lead an organization but executive leaders in my experience if it's worth anything and i think it is i've talked to a lot of them they they want to understand why it's important and you don't want the why they don't want you don't want to hear is why am i in this meeting why are you bothering me with this you don't want that that's the why you don't want to have to answer exactly so, uh, Scott, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would like to follow up with you. Where's the best place and um, what do you want them following up about? You know, we'll drop a link to the book in the show notes and, and everything like that. But what, uh, where do you want them following up? What do you want them following up about? I'm all over LinkedIn. That's the easiest place to find me. Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer. I've got a website, MetaMeta Consulting. We're about what it's about. 
That's where Meta Meta comes from. No, we're not changing our name to Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> and, and, and the kind of stuff I do for folks is I work mostly with technology brands, software and data companies, help amplify their message, kind of support their high top funnel marketing activity through content, webinars, events. And, you know, anybody out there, whether you're a prospect or that or not, take a look at some of my videos. I've got a puppet show called Too Much Tech Talk, which is stars a CDO, the chief dog officer and his partner, the ITB, who speaks only in buzzwords. It's kind of goofy and corny, but people seem to like it a lot. I've got some cartoons. I've got a a data story book I read my grandson called The Little Red Data Hen. That's a cautionary tale about the lack of data governance. So at minimum, just check out some of my funner stuff. Enjoy that. And if you're interested in working with me, i always happy to talk to anybody. I also work with, with a lot of these enterprises, kind of helping them tell that data story or amplifying it internally. They've got a day where they're bringing in their data stakeholders and they need to understand the value at a high level and try and do sort of inspirational visionary, entertaining stuff in that too. But I'm having a ball. I'm having the time of my life doing a lot of this stuff. And it's been great talking to you too, Scott. It's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for spending the time here. And uh, thank you as well, everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Scott Taylor, aka The Data Whisperer. You can find a link to his LinkedIn, his website, his book, and his YouTube channel with many humorous videos about data in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.